0: Hello again and welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear with an emphasis on empowering you, me, and we the people to an activist response. My name is Libby Halevi and the reason that I do this podcast is that I was one mile from the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island when it happened back in 1979. This program is my citizen activist response in the wake of Fukushima to lend my voice to the growing anti-nuclear movement worldwide. Today is Tuesday, October 18, 2011, day 221 since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11th. And here is the latest nuclear news. Unfortunately, it's all about radiation and it's all about Japan and none of it is good news. on the 17th, meaning yesterday, it was reported that 800,000 pounds of radioactive ash have piled up at a garbage incineration plant about 70 kilometers from the Fukushima meltdowns. This was according to a report on Reuters. The Otawara plant is projected to run out of protected storage space in two weeks, after which radioactive ash will have to be left outdoors with no proper shelter. Researchers say the problems arising from the radiation scattered over mountains, rivers, and residential areas are set to persist for years. The problem is here to stay. According to Kobe University professor Tomoyo Yamauchi, it takes 30 years for cesium-137 to decay by half. Each time it rains, cesium deposited in the mountains will be washed down to where people live. In Japan... Iodine-131 was measured in an area near Tokyo. This is according to Fukushima Diary, uh, one of the better blog posts online. The September 30 sample contained iodine-31, which is a marker of recriticality in the Fukushima plant. It has a half-life of eight days, which, of course, means that it takes 10 cycles to become inert, uh, which means it has an active toxicity of 80 days. But still, the fact that it is found so recently is a sign that there's been more release from Fukushima. There have been five more reports of high radiation levels in Tokyo's Adachi Ward, and this is from a drain in the back of a school pool. It registered 3.99 microsieverts per hour of radiation. This is Monday night, meaning just yesterday. Uh, officials are decontaminating the area which is good because that level of contamination is the equivalent to an annual dose of about 21 millisieverts which is above the level that mandates a public evacuation 20 millisieverts and above you evacuate and this was at the equivalent of 21 millisieverts again in Tokyo's Adachi Ward now here's a really amazing story Uh, the New York Times uh, this past week, had a front-page story about a hot spot that was found on a baseball field in Tokyo. And the level of radiation was four times what was considered a contaminated level in Chernobyl. However, on Sunday, two days ago, just meters away from the hot spot of radioactive cesium was found, a Little League baseball game was underway. That's because, and this is according to Voice of America's Steve Herman, who reported on the story. According to Steve, it has not yet been mentioned in Japan's mainstream media that this hot spot exists. We know it in the United States. They don't know it there. In fact, players, their parents, and spectators were unaware that the dirt has tested equivalent to four times the minimum level of contaminated zones from the 1986 Chernobyl accident. Another hot spot was found at a children's theme park in Chiba Prefecture near Tokyo. The radiation there is, quote, higher than in an evacuated village in Fukushima, 45 kilometers from the crippled plant. So radiation levels are rising in concentric circles out from Fukushima. Though not specifically, there are hot spots. It comes and goes depending on the winds, depending upon the weather. Now, there was one false alarm last week, if we are to trust the officials, and this one actually does sound like a false alarm, that in one place in Tokyo there was a reading that was 17 times the level of radiation necessary to trigger an evacuation. Uh This was found on a street in Tokyo underneath a building. It turns out, according to the officials, that what was found were a, a series of bottles of radioactive fluorescent paint left over from more than 50 years ago when the house was first built. Uh, the owners of the house had no knowledge of it. They had no idea. And um, this story seems to be checking out, but the question is where are the photos of those bottles that were underneath the house? That's what we're still waiting for, for final confirmation. Moving on to the food chain. In Japan, high concentration of radioactive cesium has been found in plankton from the sea near the Fukushima nuclear power plant. Researchers from Tokyo's University of Marine Science and Technology collected plankton in waters up to 60 kilometers, about 40 to 45 miles, from the coast of Iwaki City in July. They found 669 becquerels per kilogram of radioactive cesium in animal plankton from waters 3 kilometers offshore, about a mile and a half, a little more than that offshore. They say a wide range of fish feed on animal plankton and that the contamination could accumulate in the food chain and have a more serious impact when it gets into relatively larger fish. The plankton are eaten by tiny crustaceans. The tiny crustaceans are eaten by small fish. Small fish are eaten by medium-sized fish. Medium-sized fish are eaten by large fish. Large fish are eaten by us if we're still eating fish. And uh, the research group's leader, uh, a professor, Takashi Ishimaru, says that plankton were so heavily contaminated because sea currents continuously carried contaminated water southward from the nuclear plant. Meanwhile, the word is not good for the rice harvest in Fukushima, though according to officials, it ain't all that bad. In the main test, put that in quotes, administered by the Fukushima prefectural government, none of the samples that they tested exceeded the stringent national provisional safety limit of 500 becquerels per kilogram of radioactive cesium. The highest reading they reported was from a district uh, in Nehonomatsu City, which was 470 becquerels per kilogram. But not to worry, rice farmers of that particular district, the Fukushima prefectural government will buy all your rice, according to Kyoto News. Probably they will be using money from the national government, meaning taxpayer dollars. Now, this is a win-win for Fukushima rice farmers who went ahead and grew rice. If it tests for less than 500 becquerels per kilogram of cesium, they can sell it uh, to the public. If it tested close to 500 becquerels per kilogram, the government will buy the crop. There's no information with what the prefecture is going to do with the rice it buys up, but we suspect it's going to find its way into the market eventually. And, of course, for those farmers who in good conscience did not plant rice because they knew that the radiation would be taken up in the plants and it would make the rice itself radioactive, it's a lose-lose situation. No sales, no compensation for what they didn't plant. Now, there was a tweet from a farmer in Mura who evacuated from the village, and he said that he did not plant his rice. He simply scattered it in the field because he knew he wasn't going to be harvesting it. In coming back in early October, he tested it, and it was at just under 2,200 becquerels per kilogram of radioactive cesium, meaning four times the provisional safety limit. This was brown rice. What he's doing is mowing it down, and it will, feel, it will feed the wild boars in the area um, over the winter. Hopefully he will be able to plant something next year or at least find another line of work. And the last of the news for this week from, uh, from Japan comes from Kepco. First of all, in a video interview done on German television, this was an interview with TEPCO employees who were really whistleblowers. These are very brave individuals. They reported that TEPCO fears nothing more than openness, that in order to work with the company, employees must agree to never accept an interview from any media outlet. In other words, if you work for the company, you're under a gag order. So these were some very brave individuals. Further, they said... If employees accept a danger bonus, which is the equivalent of 15 euro an hour or about $13.50 an hour, if they accept that danger bonus, they give up the right to sue later if they get sick. Meanwhile, these same workers report that dosimeters display an error message when entering reactor building number one, and that's because the radiation is so high it is off the charts. As one other piece of news about TEPCO, and then we'll go into our interview. Uh, the company is accused of, of course, failing to take sufficient safety measures at Fukushima, even though it knew the risks, and that since the accident has been deliberately underplaying the extent of the accident. Yeah. It's also seen as being insensitive. Now listen to this. One clause in the original instruction book telling victims they would have to agree to waive their right to challenge their compensation amount in order to receive compensation Fortunately, it provoked a public uproar and the government forced the company to drop the clause. They also issued a simplified four-page instruction booklet and assigned 1,000 employees to Fukushima Prefecture to help victims with the process of applying for compensation. Their original form was one, the instructions were 160 pages and the form itself was 60 pages. So it was absolutely incomprehensible for the people trying to fill them out. They have only had 7,100 individuals applying for compensation and 300 businesses out of more than 90,000, both individuals and businesses combined, that have the right to ask for the money. Uh, so far, the utility has only faced about 10 lawsuits. But... Final compensation depends on whether and when victims will be able to return home within the 20-mile 20 20-kilometer 20 evacuation zone and that answer is not yet available and there's a growing sense of resignation among evacuees. Um They said, Tokyo Electric, TEPCO said, that they are willing to pay about 1,000 yen a month. Now, that sounds like a lot, but it's only the equivalent of about $1,300. They will only pay that for the first six months of the accident to the end of August. And after that, meaning the period we're in now, it's going to be taken in half to $650 a month. And these are for people who have given up their lives completely, their employment, their lives, their homes, everything. And that is the sum total of the uh, compensation from uh, TEPCO. So I have to say that if we take the United States standard and consider TEPCO as a corporation, as a person, that person is Hitler. So on a much happier note, I'm very pleased to uh, move into our interview today with Barbara George. Now, Barbara is the Executive Director of Women's, In- Women's Energy Matters a group based in Marin County, California. They have done major work towards shutting down Diablo Canyon nuclear reactors and promoting energy alternatives in California. Barbara has been fighting to bring competition to the electric business, and uh, she has recently received, she's the first recipient of the Charles F. McGlashan Advocacy Award, uh, which is for uh, someone who has worked strongly in, uh, on energy matters in this way. Uh, Barbara, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you, Libby. It's wonderful to have you here. So first of all, I want to get clear on why is it women's energy matters? What does gender have to do with it?
1: Oh, gender is um, an issue that... that I think, means a little bit more in our society than it's given credit for. Um, I I know that Tom Hartman says that the uh, Iroquois decided that women should be the, um, you know, leading members of their councils because they were... um, over time, seen as more concerned about the seventh generation, the guys had more immediate concerns, and so I think that's one of the reasons that um, that moved me to found a women's organization. I certainly have received that question a lot, and it's a little bit hard to answer. But the other reason is that women really needed to be invited to get involved with energy because it's been seen as such a man's field and uh women certainly have been much more interested in solar than they were ever interested in power plants um but um uh if you look at the guys who show up uh you know in the in the energy world in the commission the California Public Utilities Commission and the you know and just kind of look at the roster uh Especially in their procurement proceedings, uh, you you don't see a lot of women there. Right, and,
0: right. And women are, of course, the bearers of life and more concerned with its uh, ability to survive.
1: So that's basically it. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I I I would put that interpretation and that spin on it. But thank you for clearing that up. So, Barbara, basic question: Why do we need to close the nuclear power plants?
1: Well, you have just given a horrendous report on the radiation problems in Japan and uh the California nuclear power plants are are actually uniquely situated to um, have similar problems because they are on the coast and they have um they're sitting on top of of uh, fault lines there was a recent discovery of a new fault just 600 yards from the power um, block building at Diablo Canyon, which is just way too close. And they believe that large, really large earthquakes like Fukushima um, can be triggered by networks of faults that are much longer than just one single fault. And the, the fault um web at the at the P G and E power plant, the new, you know, new discoveries, they they're discussing um a line that goes all the way up to Marin County as a matter of fact. So it goes all the way up along the coast, um, you know, and it's like five hours away from, you know, if you're driving. So that's a long, long, long fault
0: line. That's a long fault. So I know that um, the fear that we have, and that I spoke about so much in, this, in the earlier part of this podcast, uh, the fears we have are about radiation and the damage it can do. If you were, and I know that there's a lot of confusion about radiation, the different ways of measuring it, we don't have to get into that. But if you were to break it down into the basics, what's so bad about radiation? The real
1: issue with radiation. That's hardest to understand is that it's invisible, and so people don't really have a good sense of what's happening. But if you visualize wrecking balls, that's basically what you have there. Atoms are incredibly tiny, and their nuclei are even tinier. I mean, basically, if you blow up the you know the atom to the size of the world, and the you know, the nucleus um, would be like a, a cherry. Um, so the relationship is incredibly small, and you can't see that, obviously, with your naked eye. But if you have the um, the nucleus uh, uh, disintegrate, which is basically what radiation means, is that the nucleus of an atom is actually breaking apart. And when it does break, it shoots out particles or waves, And those particles and waves are incredibly powerful. They are so powerful that they can knock electrons out of the molecules in your atoms, in your body, in your cells, which essentially dismantles the um, biology that, you know, that you're depending on. It can trigger reactions like cancer in your organs or immune deficiencies, all kinds of diseases uh
0: and mutations
1: can result from um from radiation
0: right and those and that and that ra- those mutations of course persist through the generations
1: yes they do they they go on and on.
0: So let let let's let's take a look a little bit more at the work that you and your group are doing. Um, first of all, background: um, We're in a state, and you are working with the state. But what can a state do? Doesn't the Nuclear Regulatory Commission control all aspects of nuclear power? No,
1: it doesn't. That is a misconception, which I think the NRC Nuclear Regulatory Commission encourages. And I also think that states tend to um, kind of chicken out mm-hmm. from from exercising their full powers uh, because the nuclear industry is so immensely powerful. And the utilities in this country are, um, are huge uh, lobbyists and contributors. I know that PG&E was the, was the top, under uh, the top lobbyist in, in of all utilities in the country, wow. in 2008 year, I, I got figures for it, and a lot of the work that they did that year was promoting nuclear power. So um, anyway, there's a you know there's a lot of clout in that business, and of course the Defense Department has this whole you know, nuclear program, and a lot of uh, you know a lot of the defense people think that that's you know, that's fundamental to our security in the world. Um, other people think that that actually makes us less secure, because you can't really fight a nuclear war. Once you start a nuclear war, if people fight back, you, you basically wipe out the planet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a fight that you can even start, because there's no way you can win it. Um, but, you know, there's there's been nuclear weapons built for years, and of course, the nuclear power plants produce the element plutonium which is then used in the nuclear weapons
0: so it's all part of the same cycle um, yeah, it doesn't
1: close relationship.
0: Now let's take a look at at some of the issues that you have been working on. Um, certainly, with alternative energy, one of the arguments against it is that um, greenhouse gases would increase by the use of coal and gas um, if we close nuclear power plants. How would you address that question?
1: That is absolutely not what I would in- replace them with. Um, we have a shortage of renewable energy in this state, and we have a, a large excess of gas energy. Um, and the state mandated 20% by 2010. The Utilities pg and only got 17%. Um, Edison is about the same. And now the state's targets are 33% by 2020. So they really need to step up their game to get anywhere close to those targets. Um, and up to now, the commission has been allowing them to build gas plants so that they actually have an excess, 56% excess power right now through 2020. And so we think that that could actually benefit us because some of these power plants are sitting there idle. But what we really want to see is the um, use of energy efficiency and renewable energy to replace um, what's called a local capacity requirement, and that's particularly an issue in in, uh, Los Angeles, which is about 35 miles away from San Onofre. A lot of people up north here don't know as much about San Onofre, and in fact, uh, I suppose statewide, that's less known than than the Diablo um, issues
0: well there was there were just a series of uh hearings down in um San Clemente with the city council. They were very open to the information it got split into the pro side giving their report on one side and our side on the other, which was just a week ago, which is why my podcast was prerecorded. But um, the entire recording of that is up on uh, the Nuclear Hot Seat uh, Facebook page, and also uh, it's going to be put up later today on NuclearHotSeat.com if people want to catch up with that and really find out. We had um, Dan Hirsch from the Committee to Bridge the Gap, who was brilliant, um, and Dr. Helen Caldicott and Arnie Gunderson were there via technology. Um, so if people want to know more about San and Ofre, that's something to do. There's something for the activists in the crowd I would like to get into, and that is that Women's Energy Matters has put in a series of very impressive briefs before the Public Utilities Commission. And could you speak to what that was about and how in the world you got such elaborate legal work done? <laughs> He's trying to
1: keep up with Fukushima in the meantime. Um, yeah, well, the commission has a pr- has a proceeding called the Long-Term Procurement Proceeding, um, which comes around every couple of years. And I was a party to it, and when Women's Energy Matters was a party to it this year uh, when Fukushima happened. And we saw an opportunity immediately to put in the first official request to shut down the nuclear power plant. Um, So we are asking the Commission to use its authority over um, the utilities to basically tell them um, don't use nuclear power going forward um, and figure out how to replace it and keep our power system clean and affordable at the same time. And so the utilities of course were absolutely opposed to this plan. <laughs> what a surprise, and, right? Uh, what a surprise. And they you know, they argued, Oh, you're out of scope and, and I I have to say that the judge um pushed back at them and said I want to hear this. I think this is in scope. This is appropriate, especially this year we we can talk about this. In a you know, in a kind of high level um, you know, not getting into details, but, you know, the general, you know, why we should do this, and then the utilities were able to say, well, no, why we shouldn't do this, and uh, but when PGE said, you know, it was going to cost millions and billions of dollars, um, the judge actually had struck their testimony because he said there's no evidence uh, that's been filed in this proceeding that it will or that won't cost that kind of money, um, but when my organization filed other testimony that, that basically said one of the things that the utilities can use is the energy efficiency that's already there and the solar that's already there on people's roofs that they're not counting, believe it or not. Really? Didn't know that one. Yes. It's a very strange thing that I noticed uh, when I was in the tg es general rate case a year ago, and I have a little quote for you. tg es load forecasting methodology does not specifically adjust for changes in peak load because of increased customer photovoltaic installations, customer energy efficiency programs. PG&E cannot know exactly where reductions or increases will occur from these
0: resources. It's almost like like planned um, ignorance so that they don't have to fess up to the fact that maybe alternatives are working. That's what it sounds like to me.
1: Absolutely. And the other thing is that it it does not cut into those increased gas resources, as I was saying, that has been... You know, the preferred method of, of serving the load. And this is something, this is a fight that I've been in for many, many years in the energy efficiency side, uh, because I said, look, you have all these energy efficiency programs that are spending more than a billion dollars a year for energy efficiency statewide, but they don't correlate that with the actual energy system. In other words, they have one big number that they say statewide, okay, we're going to subtract this number. And then they argue about it. And in the last procurement proceeding, they only had to subtract 20% of the energy efficiency because of a lot of questions about how it was counted, where it
0: was. Right, because they, they're going to lose money. They're going to lose parts of their millions and billions. If we all go over to energy efficiency, and for them it's not about sustainability of the planet and our lives, but it's about how much money can they make and the profits to show. I don't know. They have shareholders,
1: or whoever. Yes,
0: ma'am. Okay, then then it's that. One more thing for the for the activists. Um, I said that it was really elaborate paperwork, um, uh, legal briefs that were put together. You sent me a series of them, and I believe that they're also available on your website, and we'll get to that in a moment. Yes. But my question is, with such an elaborate document put together, and it looks like it was done by a lawyer, is it possible, is it applicable for that information to be used um, in other arenas by other activist groups with their utilities and their states? Oh, I think this is
1: definitely applicable in many states. Yeah, a
0: lot of the principles
1: that we have um, put down here, um, you know, as far as energy efficiency replacing nukes, that's what always happens when you have a problem, because that's what you can do quickly. And also, after Three Mile Island, there was an energy efficiency program that demonstrated um, that it was capable of actually saving the company, because they were going bankrupt from the cost of replacement power, and energy efficiency um, did the job. So that's um, absolutely applicable, and the the renewables, the system that we're talking about putting into place called integrated resources planning is basically you can plan a system that is a lot more cost-effective than what we have now. For example, with energy efficiency, um, in California, we have a huge peak in the middle of the summer afternoons, and they're building resources to serve the top of that peak. Well, you could use energy efficiency to insulate houses and you know, provide more efficient air conditioning and put white roofs on and plant shade trees like Sacramento did and reduce the peak considerably. Of course, you wouldn't need to build those power plants, and that is where the utilities are getting a lot of their profits.
0: That's where the port comes from.
1: The utility-owned generation or from the transmission that that takes the the power from merchant power plants. And so the utilities are very reluctant to address um, the peak with energy efficiency and the commission has just let them get away with this for 30 years and it's time to change that.
0: Oh, I could so agree with, I couldn't agree with you more Barbara. Now, if people would want more specific information or have access to these briefs, how might they get them from uh from your group?
1: You can go online to www.womensenergymatters.org
0: and that's and women we have with a plural. It's got an s at the end of it
1: yes women's energy matters and uh you can uh if you forget the whole name it's women's energy we'll get you there too but in any case um the uh nuclear issues are all grouped on one page we on the front page of our website there is a um link to the nuclear page so you can easily find your way to um all of these documents which are um We also hope to uh, boil down into a white paper for um, for lay audiences and and to circulate around the country for other activists, because we we do believe this is material that a lot of people can use. And uh, since I've had the opportunity to see how energy is produced close up and understand both the technical and the political issues that are involved in replacing
0: nukes um you know i I definitely want to make this available well barbara i want to thank you for your energy in um the work that you do it is important you were doing it when i was still asleep i only woke up after fukushima and um thank you for that and again give us your website It's
1: www.womensenergymanage.org, and can I just say one other thing? Absolutely. We're encouraging people to go to their city councils and ask their city councils to pass a resolution to close nuclear power plants, because we believe that would be a way um, to um, for the governor to hear that there is local support, and uh, that was a big help when we were working on marine Clean Energy. A lot of city councils stepped up and. um, passed resolutions um, and, you know, made their voices heard. It just doesn't benefit anybody in the California to have uh, have this incredible danger uh, that we live under. And, and all the things that you were talking about with the food supply, that could all happen in California, and it would ruin the food supply for the whole country. So it would really be hideous.
0: Well, Barbara, I would welcome any further information you have on um, approaching city councils. I always include some activist uh, suggestions at the end of the program, and you're, of course, invited to stick around and listen to the rest of the show. But for now, I just want to thank you. We've been listening to Barbara George, the Executive Director of Women's Energy Matters, a Marin County-based group here in California who has done remarkable work. Uh, towards getting Diablo Canyon and the other nuclear reactors shut down, and um let's look forward to helping each other and supporting each other in complete success. Thank you so much, Barbara. Thank you, Libby.
1: Thank you for your show.
0: Terrific well let's move on. We have some more nuclear news uh this is from the United States from uh Oak Harbor, Ohio. Workers replacing the nuclear reactor head at the Davis-Bessie plant discovered a crack in a concrete containment building on Monday. This is just yesterday. The plant had been shut down for nearly two weeks while the reactor head was replaced with a new one. Now this vertical crack, which was previously undisclosed, runs as much as 30 feet along rebar. That's 30 feet of crack within a containment building. First Energy, which owns Davis Bessey, is replacing the current reactor head after cracks were found in fuel nozzles. Cracks here, cracks there. And according to First Energy spokesperson Jennifer Young, why do they give it to a woman? Quote, the significance of the finding is yet to be determined. Yeah, I think we might know that it's significant. It's that aging power plants decay, and in their decaying, they become more dangerous. You just discovered an area where your containment materials are decaying. Thank you very much. Uh, She went on to say, that's why we've engaged the outside experts. Let's hope that they are honest and open and um, not compromised in their opinions. Also here in the U.S., um, there was a story in the Miami Herald. Actually, there were headlines. This appeared on October 16th. Uh Fukushima disaster can happen here. Thank you very much. That's true. Uh This article warned South Florida residents that they, quote, should take little comfort in assurances that a Fukushima-type catastrophe could not happen here. It went on to note that the Miami-area nuclear power plant, Turkey Point, quote, is just as reliant as Fukushima on off site electricity, emergency electrical generators, and batteries. And yet, Florida Power and Light is trying to put two, build two new reactors on the site, making a total of four, four, four. These two proposed reactors are essentially experimental designs that, quote, have never been tested or operated commercially at full scale. This, according to the article. The reactor design has drawn substantial criticism on safety issues. Here are three of them. One. A major issue is that the steel inner containment structure is barely strong enough to keep radioactivity from escaping during a design basis accident. This is the kind of accident that took place with the East Coast earthquake that was 5.8 with an epicenter really close, less than 10 miles away from the North Anna plant, where it was twice the design, uh, design basis it was a twice-to-the-design-basis accident. Going on to the complaint about uh, the Florida plants, the proposed ones, this leaves little margin for error when the steel containment structure eventually corrodes and loses strength. Such corrosion is a common problem in older reactors. Note that the majority of nuclear reactors in the United States are over 30 years old. Their uh, operators are all applying for 20-year extensions, and many of them are getting them. Realize, the older they get, the less safe they get. Here's the second point. The British Nuclear Installations Inspectorate has criticized Toshiba Westinghouse, which are the creators of this design, for not sufficiently demonstrating that the outer concrete shield can withstand an external shock such as an earthquake, hurricane, tornado, or impact from a commercial aircraft. Third, and perhaps the most damaging criticism, comes from Dr. John Ma, the lead structural reviewer evaluating the outer concrete shield for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Dr. Ma submitted a, quote, non concurrence statement of dissent, end quote, stating that the outer shield could shatter like a, quote, glass cup in an earthquake or commercial aircraft crash. That's what they're trying to build down in Florida. Let's work hard to make sure that doesn't happen. So, for activism's sake, you can join a two-week interfaith peace walk from Diablo Canyon here in California, from the power plant, nuclear power plant. This is near San Luis Obispo in the Bay Area. Um, they are going to walk 15 to 18 miles a day, looking into the safety of land and people along the route, the still present danger of nuclear weapons. The poisonous nuclear fuel cycle and how to end the nuclear nightmare in California and worldwide. I would end, I would also add to that before we have another Fukushima. The sponsors of this walk include San Luis Obispo Mothers for Peace, which we have interviewed on this program, Indian People Organizing for Change, and uh, I hope I pronounce this correctly. Nipponzan Myohoji Buddhist Order. So that is truly an interfaith walk. I will have further information about this up and available on the Nuclear Hot Seat uh, website, and, which is nuclearhotseat.com, and also on the Facebook page, which gets the bulk of the ongoing information. Now. I like to include something on holistic health and healing uh, because it behooves all of us to keep ourselves as healthy and uh, strong and keep our immune systems up so that we can resist any effort, any effects from the radiation that is coming towards us from Japan because radiation levels are rising everywhere. And there's an interesting video. Again, this is on both the uh, website and the Facebook page by C- Professor Christopher Busby who is a uh, regular commentator on the nuclear scene, very knowledgeable individual. And for the first time, he addresses the um, need for supplementation to keep ourselves healthy. Specifically, he cites the need for calcium magnesium because calcium is harmonic with, um, I mean, strontium-90 is absorbed into the body much the same way calcium would be. So by taking in adequate amounts of calcium, you are blocking the ability of strontium-90 to become part of your bones and teeth. This is especially important with children. The suggested dose, um, calcium and magnesium, always need to be taken together in a proportion that is not quite two to one. And this is the way the tablets come in health food stores, that it you need on a daily basis as an adult 800 milligrams of calcium uh, and 350 milligrams of magnesium. As I said, that's the way the pills come. Now, that's for an adult. You need to determine proportionally how much of that is appropriate for a child, and you do that by weight. As I said, this will protect teeth and bones from strontium-90, and uh, the video of him speaking about this is up on uh, Nuclear Hot Seat, both Facebook and the webpage. In addition, we got this tweet from Japan, keeping high amounts of calcium in the blood, Eating lots of Tums daily can help prevent strontium from getting into the bone. Strontium acts like calcium. So apparently in Japan, they're also starting to understand the need for supplementation. And if Tums are what do it for you, as long as it is calcium and magnesium in proportion, that's great. And here is a thought I want to pass on, which I found quite profound. It was uh, sent in by um, one of the regular commentators on uh, Nuclear Hot Seat on the Facebook page. Um, She hasn't given me permission to use her whole name, so I'll just call her Maureen. And this came from the book Strategy for Peace, which was written by John F. Kennedy when he was already U.S. President. It was published in 1960, and it was on the topic of permitted doses of environmental radiation. Quote, this is from Kennedy, while many competent scientists agree that there has been no great harm done to mankind as a whole from the amount of radiation released by bomb tests so far, it is also true that there is no amount of radiation so small that it has no ill effects at all upon anybody, anywhere. There is actually no such thing as a minimum permissible dose. Perhaps we are talking about only a very small number of individual tragedies, the number of atomic age children with cancer, the new victims of leukemia, the damage to skin tissues here and reproductive systems there, perhaps these are too small to measure with statistics, but they nevertheless loom very large indeed in human and moral terms. Moreover, there is still much that we do not know, and too often in the past we have minimized these perils and shrugged aside these dangers only to find that the estimates were faulty and the real dangers were worse than we knew. That was published in 1960, which is 51 years ago. And, of course, there has been a great deal more radiation released into our environment, not just by nuclear blasts, which were taken underground, which is a whole other story, but by nuclear reactors on an ongoing basis creating their radiation. That was a quote from John F. Kennedy. So just a minor report, San Onofre last week just kicked serious butt. We heard, uh, via technology, we heard from Dr. Helen Caldicott in New York, from the fabulous Arnie Gunderson of fairwinds.com uh, from his home in uh, Vermont, And Dan Hirsch of the Committee to Bridge the Gap was live. It was particularly exhilarating watching Dan Hirsch speak with no notes, with no power pound, just taking the microphone, positioning himself so everybody could see him, and talking off the top of his head for 20 minutes in a brilliant way. The link to the entire city council meeting. This took place in front of the city council of San Clemente, which is only three miles from the San Onofre power plant. The entire video of the entire meeting is up on uh, the nuclear hot seat uh, site, but it's really long. If you just want to cut to the chase, Arnie Gunderson was wonderful. He's right at the beginning. And then you can catch Dan Hirsch at about somewhere around 3 hours, 3 hours and 15 minutes in. Trust me, it was a long meeting. I left after three and a half hours, and uh, they were still going strong for quite a while longer than that. Uh, if I can get a discreet video of just Dan, I know some were taken, I will have that to post as well. So in closing, doing the nuclear math, this is Day 221 for each of three melted-down nuclear reactors in Fukushima meaning that is a total of 663 nuclear leak days since Fukushima began. We are closing in fast on two years of radiational exposure, and Chernobyl, remember, was encased in a sarcophagus by day 10. So the nuclear math here on nuclear hot seat, going by these statistics alone, you you divide Fukushima by Chernobyl, and you get the equivalent of over 66 Chernobyls that have happened so far, and it's not over yet this has been nuclear hot seat for tuesday october 18 2011 you can find us and links to previous programs by going to nuclearhotseat.com or on the facebook nuclear hot seat group page we are also up on itunes and you can subscribe for free so you never need lose a single update they will all come to your inbox directly this is Libby Halevi of Hardestry communications the heart of the art of communicating And I want to tell you all that we have had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, whatever you do, do not go back to sleep. Be safe. Stay well. I'll talk with you next week. Bye-bye.